Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm now joined by John McKenzie or otherwise known Working Class Sep. Hi John. Hello. How are you? Good, thanks. Good. Also, ah, guten Tag, Herr Stafford Bloor. Wie geht's du? Wie geht's gut, Herr Devine? Vielen Dank. As usual. Love to hear that that man's gates are good. So much to discuss today. Many news items occurred over the weekend that we will be touching on. Namely, Ronaldo wants out. That's funny. Uh, there was a story that's been released moments before we began to record uh, by David Ornstein. Story breaking that Christian Eriksen verbally agreeing to join Manchester United, so we can cover that. Uh, there is also the story of Lisandro Martinez. We won't uh, dally on Man United too long. Don't worry to all the people that hate them. Mo Salah has become the highest paid player in Liverpool history, so we'll be discussing that. And of course, uh, from slightly earlier last week, but still very interesting, Richarlison to Spurs. We'll touch on that there too. Barcelona have done a money thing, so we'll try to understand that. I think Seb's going to help us there. And all the Chelsea roles have changed. People have lost their jobs, so we'll discuss that. And, of course, Lukaku has returned to Inter, so if we have time, we will uh, return there. And somewhere at the midpoint, we'll be discussing with John McKenzie the Women's Zeros. 2022, which start on Wednesday, I think. Is it Wednesday? It start? Is England the first game? Because it's in England, isn't it? It is. It's the first That's game. exciting. Yeah. Wednesday night, 8pm. Uh, so we'll be talking about that too. Um, and at the very end of the plan, I have a, a hyperlink to a, a news story about all the players who are out of contract in 2023 in the summer. So if we have time, maybe we can glance an eye over that list and then get excited about who might be moving next year. As if there weren't enough transfers now, there will be more next year. Forever. Forever. And some of them will be free. So there we go, you know. If you like things that are free, then you should visit The Athletic because for 30 days, you can get that shit for free. <laughs> is, that, is that okay? That's a good segue, that, <laughs> that is. is a yeah. good segue, yeah. Anyway, it's not shit. It is, in fact, very, very good. Um, the Athletic is one of the greatest places that has ever existed for me as a person. Uh, I feel truly accepted at The Athletic. You know, when I'm on the site, I just feel as one. How do you feel? What kind of emotion, emotions, what kind of emotions do you have? Yeah, wholeness. Wholeness, wholeness yeah. right, yeah. It's as if there's a gap in my life. Sure. That The Athletic fills. It just filled it. Yeah. What about you, Seb? Do you feel strong emotions when you visit The I Athletic? I feel informed. I feel like when I'm there, whether I want to or not, information is just battling its way into my brain. Just whether sure. I need it or not, it's just there. I just become smarter by being there. I feel more attractive to people. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like when I'm walking around on the streets, people like me more, you know? <laughs> Whatever your deepest fear is, if you join the Athletic, it'll be gone. <laughs> That's false advertising. That's not allowed. But uh, anyway, if you want to understand more about the transfers and read super in-depth pieces about football, you should get The Athletic because whilst it won't solve your problems, it will help distract you from them. Uh, football. There we go. Okay, that's The Athletic. Um, I will leave you now in the warm hands and the cool embrace of uh, producer Jamie, who before now actually had two sets of headphones, over-the-head <laughs> headphones on at once, to try to get around a problem we were having. It looked very funny. I'm sorry you can't see it, but uh, I enjoyed it anyway. I'll leave you in his hands. Yeah.
Yes, there we go. Starting now with Ronaldo. He wants out. That's right. The Athletic reported over the weekend that Ronaldo, 37, uh, would like to leave United if they uh, would like to leave if United receive a suitable offer in this window. A few uh, top details to include here, Seb. Chelsea owner Todd Bowley has met with Ronaldo's agent, uh, George Mendes, to discuss the situation and the idea of him moving to Chelsea. That's interesting. Uh, Bayern Munich were also thought to have been told about the situation. Napoli also understood to be interested. This morning, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo has not appeared at training uh, due to, quote, family reasons... And uh, United's international players are, of course, uh, due to return to Carrington today. The club embark on their pre-season tour to Thailand on Friday. So it does feel like if something's going to happen, it would be better if it happened ideally this week. Because if he doesn't go on the tour, that's a bit more of a problem, isn't it? Yeah, I wonder what kind of assurances they gave about the tour. Because presumably Ronaldo is one of the most marketable assets on a tour of Thailand. Mm. It would have been, you know, they would have at least based some of their activity out there on him. You know, some of their promotional stuff that the clubs do when they when they go on preseason tours i don't for the life of me know where he would go that would make sense well let's talk let's talk about that because yeah. i mean the, the clubs that are listed here Bayern munich thought to have been told about the situation <laughs> they, that's kind of funny isn't it yeah by, by munich, uh, i don't really i mean so the, the, do they not follow the news no yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go on sir well no i i the Bayern munich thing doesn't really make any sense and, and bill have been very very strong about mm-hmm. um it just doesn't it just doesn't suit their nature as a club really with cristiano ronaldo chelsea then I mean, you could make because Chelsea's had they have this interesting situation at the moment with Todd Bowley, who's the is you know the, the leader of the consortium that now owns Chelsea, who is the temporary sporting director, interim. a man sporting without director. any uh, in, interim, yeah. a man uh, as far as I'm aware without the the requisite sporting not uh, a proper football man, well <laughs> not, not a proper, proper football man, man. Mm. Uh, is is in that situation, and it, you know it's you know if he's having conversations with George Mendes, I don't know, I suppose the idea of bringing a star to Chelsea might might be might be appealing to. Um, to an American owner, uh, but uh, it doesn't really seem to make a, a lot of sense. You would have thought that Thomas Tuchel wouldn't want Ronaldo to come. I don't think so. Based on everything that we learnt about Chelsea's football last season and the season before, don't really see a place for for Cristiano Ronaldo in there. Uh, I suppose there are two different questions: who can afford him, and and that's probably a, a list of about two or three teams who would want him. I mean, the perfect place for him is kind of Manchester United. Whoever signs him is going to just completely break their wage yeah. structure, right? That's the issue. Because he's on, what, 500000 a week? Is that right? I think so. Something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. That's a lot of money. That and is a lot of money. Yeah. I think the next player down in the Premier League, if I'm correct, is Kevin De Bruyne on about 400000 a week. So you're talking 100000 a week mm-hmm. higher than the next person down. That's a he's, big old step. It's, it's not that he isn't effective. It's like, um, you know, when you learnt about castles at school and how... When an enemy was laying siege to a castle, you had to kind of push a big catapult into position and then use it to fire stuff at the castle to break the walls and to kind of to starve the people out. That's siege warfare. That's Ronaldo. He kind of has to just be pushed into position now. There's no real mobility there. Like he can still be destructive and he can still do damage, but not without help and without a lot of people being very, very accommodating. I can't make a decent argument for why he works anywhere in world football at the moment well stick with Chelsea yeah. for a second they do you know they've just sold Lukaku there's an argument to say that they do need a, a striker there's another argument to say that maybe Kai Havertz is, is still learning the trade still a young player mm-hmm. and, and maybe 
could use some extra support for uh, for a year. There's also an argument to say that Kai Havertz is of a build that is not dissimilar to Ronaldo. He doesn't have the same kind of muscly structure, but he's a, he's a tall player who's quick with his feet. Like he's a, you know something un- unusual. Uh, sort of forward in the same way that Ronaldo was when when he was younger as well. Is there any argument at all to say that for a year maybe it's no, a good idea? Not at all. Okay, and explain that to me. Just because he okay, so working back from what's happened over the past couple of weeks, Chelsea have allowed Romelu Lukaku to leave, goal scorer, not a target man, but a goal scorer. You know, decent mobility doesn't fit in the team, not primarily, but because, but um, partly because he isn't the focal point of the team which Ronaldo would have to be. Everything in Chelsea's system would have to be pointed towards Cristiano Ronaldo. He offers you absolutely nothing without the ball. Therefore, you're asking more of those attacking players who you're still dependent upon for output as a result of his inactivity. And I don't want to say inertia, that's a little bit unkind, but these are the problems that we've covered that Manchester United have suffered through. And where they seem to affect Manchester United, most obviously, was in the big games. So if you think back to, for instance, that Liverpool game at Old Trafford, I think we did an entire video on what happened to Manchester United's pressing structure as a result of Cristiano Ronaldo being in that team and having to accommodate for that with players that were a little bit overworked, were having to cover too much ground off the ball at the same time. Why would you import that problem into your team for a 37-year-old player, even though you can find 15 goals out of it? Is there not another player in world football that can provide that from Chelsea? I mean, why, if Chelsea want to go down that road... Why are they not entertaining an offer for Robert Lewandowski, for instance? Yeah. Why were they, if this was such a pressing need, why were they not in the market for Erling Haaland? I know these ships have sailed, but it's a lunge. It's a look at this shiny thing that I can have because I can have it and because I can afford it. It's exactly the mistake that Man United made. They just didn't want him to play for Manchester City. And there was a very sort of smug news cycle of ex-Man United players going, I was part of it. I was part of it. I made, I made this happen. Don't see quite as much of that right now. No, you don't see quite as many people putting their hand up and taking responsibility for what has seemed like a fairly poor decision. Well, uh, John, Seb and and I, JJ and Alex have have talked to death about this situation over the last season, but we haven't heard from you. We don't know what your Ronaldo at United... uh, What's your agenda, John? What's your agenda? (laughs) I'm just sort of following on from what Seb said there. It feels like a lot of the managers in at the elite teams now are largely system managers and so their instinctive approach to solving problems isn't going to be let's bring someone in who can do a job for a season while we're trying to sort things out it's going to be more like we can talk about Eric Ten Hag using Dusan Tadic at Ajax as a as a false nine and then bringing Sebastian Allais in later on as a as a sort of more classic traditional striker these these coaches they fix problems with what they've got to hand Mm -hmm. and I feel as though Thomas Tuchel will be in that sort of boat as well he's the sort of manager who will be more concerned about his system working necessarily than just sort of quick fixing it by slapping a big Cristiano Ronaldo plaster over it and because we saw that happen at Manchester United last season right Mm. Manchester United scored a few goals late on in games because Cristiano Ronaldo moments it so he, he just sort of did what was needed right at the end of games and everyone's like how can you question whether or not they should have this guy because you know he's he's scoring goals and there's an extent to which that I think that kind of approach gets you a a long way and it got Real Madrid to the Champions League final which they then won Mm -hmm. so that you know it's it's not without its 
benefits. Mm -hmm. But I think in the long run, a lot of the managers now, a lot of the coaches at the elite sides are always going to be thinking we want our systems to be generating chances rather than individuals within our systems. And so I think that just makes the whole Ronaldo question a little bit more complex because it's not just the case. You can no longer say in world football, this player is going to score some goals and that's enough because it's not just simply about having players who score goals. It's about having systems that score goals, having your whole team putting out a certain amount of output and scoring the right kind of goals. And I think that's, that just sort of complexifies the, the, the situation. So I'm, I'm with Seb on this. I think it's going to be hard to see any club at the elite level now being willing to spend that sort of money uh, to impact their wage structures mm. at the club over whatever the amount of goals that you get in return. I don't think clubs think about goals in the aggregate. I think they, they think now in terms of who have we got playing roles, how are we trying to score goals, what are the pieces that we need to solve that. And yeah, at the moment, I think that Chelsea's issue is not getting a goal scorer because they had Lukaku. Lukaku is a goal scorer. Sure. The issue was that they brought in a goal scorer who didn't fit the system. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think there will be clubs out there who will be happy enough to just get Ronaldo for whatever reason. There's Obviously, football is about more than what happens on the pitch as well. But I think in terms of the, the on-pitch stuff, I think we, what we're seeing is definitely a diminishing return as to the effectiveness of Cristiano Ronaldo. Can you, can you imagine, okay. Joe, though, if you, if you were a, not medium-sized club, but a quite large club, and he brought Cristiano Ronaldo into your system. Now, forgetting all the technical mm. points that John's made, like socially, I think that's quite difficult because you're putting Ronaldo at a level of the game where he's probably not comfortable, where he hasn't spent the majority of his career. Also, if you're a if you're a head coach who is making his name, who wants to be celebrated for his use of system and his man management, all of that falls underneath the Ronaldo shadow. Yeah, it takes a back seat. It, it also, it? this has happened a couple of times. No doubt Cristiano Ronaldo, from a kind of pure sporting professionalism perspective, is inspiring to a certain kind of athlete and a role model to a player who's probably about 21, 22, because they grew up probably idolizing him, let's be fair. At the same time, though, players who have been a little bit mentally fragile or players who have had adjustment difficulties at big teams. Uh, I think of um, someone like Dejan Kulisewski who had a, a little bit of a difficult time at Juventus and part of the reason was supposedly because he found the pressure of playing with Ronaldo a little bit much. Now, these problems don't get factored in when you place him at one of those teams. At Real Madrid, you have the kind of gravity which can absorb a Ronaldo and can contain him. Barcelona, Man United, mm -hmm. probably Chelsea, Man City. If you go anywhere beneath that, it's very different. Like, it's a very, very difficult situation to, to kind of, I don't know, to accommodate him in an environment where he's already made something of a sacrifice to play there. Does that make sense? It's very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's okay, fine. So we don't know where he's going to go, if he's going to go at all, because yeah. Manchester United apparently seem very keen to keep him. Here's another way of looking at it, Seb. If you're Eric Ten Hag and uh, you arrive at Manchester United and Ronaldo decides he wants to leave... Have you kind of hit the jackpot in a way? Like, are you, do you think he might be thinking now, oh, actually, I kind of hope he does go because that was going to be a problem for me next season? Or is it the case that he, as a, as a coach, would be excited to take on that kind of challenge and is aware that without Ronaldo, there are not many goals at the team, perhaps? No, the former Joe, because I, I think we covered this in Sensible Transfers. Like, Ronaldo, what, he had one year left. So if you're Eric Ten Hag, you have the situation where you've got a player for one year who has to play. 
And it's kind mm-hmm. of like deferring your impact on the team for 12 months because you can't yeah. really begin, maybe not revolution, but you know, you can't start over and have a truly clean slate until he's gone because he's not going to be there mm-hmm. for two years. And if you want to be optimistic, Eric Den Haag wants to think of a three-year cycle and the planning that he wants to do, well, one half of his team is kind of, well, not one half, but a focal point of his side is locked out until an aging player, one of the, the greatest players of all time, admittedly, but an aging player has moved on somewhere else. It's like having a, a, kind of a junction or a traffic cone in the middle of your football team. You have to work around it and you have to compensate for what it doesn't let you do. So I think you'd be very pleased. There are short-term disadvantages, the lack of goals, sure, but without the politics, without the magnetism that Ronaldo brings, I think it's a little bit of an easier job from a rebuilding perspective. Okay, fine. Uh, well, I'm sure there'll be more news as it relates to this in the coming week. Uh, we'll talk about it again next Monday. I'm very curious to see what happens. Christian Eriksen is is another uh, story out there today. David Ornstein has announced that uh, Christian Eriksen has verbally agreed to join Manchester United. Uh, as a free agent, 30-year-old playmaker has communicated the desire to play for Man United and accept a three-year deal. The contract needs to be uh, finalised and the medical will be conducted before he completes the move. That's kind of an interesting one, John, isn't it? Because obviously we know that they're targeting De Jong at the moment. They have Bruno Fernandes, who's a player that's definitely going to start, definitely going to be playing. If the club are also saying that they're keen for Ronaldo to stay, and there's Fred and McTominay, how does that all fit together? It would be my question, because I understand Christian Eriksen to be a 10. I appreciate that he has played deeper, particularly Inter, he played in a double pivot. But if they're also targeting De Jong, like, don't they want to buy any defensive players at all? It, it seems like a, a, a far too passy midfield for me. Yeah, we've already talked about how Eric Ten Hag is going to be about taking the roles that he has at his disposal and making them work together. I think when we talk about a defensive midfielder in that system, he would be happy to just use a player who he can use as a destroyer, essentially, I mm. think, because you know that if you've got Frankie De Jong you can get all of your ball progression through him. And so, for example, in the last iteration of the Ajax team, they had Edson Alvarez playing that sort of role. And Edson Alvarez is a sort of converted centre-back, nothing special, and yet does everything that's needed of him. And I think you could do the same sort of thing with uh, McTominay, use him in, in a similar way if needs be. And, I, and I'm sure that Ten Hag will be trying to work out the profile of, of McTominay. And, and these great managers are, are, are really good at looking at the upside of players and emphasising that within the team mm. and looking at the downside of players and then working out how to ameliorate those problems in, in a certain sense. So I think that, you know, I, I could consider a team that Manchester United put out next season, which which uses someone like McTominay. In terms of, what about Lissandro Martinez? Is there any chance that he would play in that role? Yeah, and he has done before. They right. brought him in as a, a centre midfielder, I believe, and then, right. and then shifted him back. So um, he could play there? Yeah, and... I'm sure that there will be that fluidity. I mean, we're, we're talking about players who have been comfortable at switching positions during play. So you're in Timber, who played on the right side of that of that uh, centre-back partnership, would often, I don't, I don't want to say invert, because it's not really inverting, but like he would step up into the midfield and help out in, in mm. those areas as well. So these are players who are really adept. And this is what Ten Hag would be getting these players to do would be aware of how the fact that their role doesn't mean that they are hamstrung into staying in a certain part of the pit. It's about principles of play. It's about mm. realizing what it is that they should be doing at any moment and recognizing the situation on the field. So they respond to that. So yeah, I think that a lot of this will come down to 
the ability of those players to be able to fit in that kind of fluid system. But to come back to Christian Eriksen, who I think is probably more interesting than Scott McTominay, as you say, like Eriksen, you can play in any number of different roles. Like you've got the the fluidity for him there. I mean, he played on the outside of a midfield three at Brentford. I think they were playing a sort of 3-5-2 at the time. Um, So you could play him in a similar way to the way that Eric Ten Hag likes to play his midfield, which is sometimes it looks like a, a two man midfield with one person just slightly more advanced mm. sometimes it looks more like a flattish three um, you've got that flexibility there and so I, I would imagine that if they bring in Frankie de Jong it'll be Frankie de Jong on the left and he'll sit a little bit deeper he will help dictate the play they'll have a more defensive player next to him uh, in the in the more central spot and then Ericsson will be on the right hand side but in a little bit more of an advanced role as well where does Fernandez play? false nine Right, because Cristiano Ronaldo is leaving. <laughs> it's all it's all falling into place this week. Huh? <laughs> That's an option. I, I think you could also play as a as a sort of more out and out four two three one with with Fernandez just sitting behind the striker as well. Mm. It um, feels like quite a small team. Short, short, physically uh, a little bit lacking. Like I suppose it depends on who the player next to De Jong would be. I feel like it sort of it leaves it a little bit vulnerable to kind of physical side through the middle, but also sort of defending set pieces. Well, let's talk yeah. about that, Seb, because one of the debates around Lisandro Martinez, who's another player that Manchester United have been linked to, uh, a player who we've described already as someone who has played in that defensive midfield role, but is probably more recognised as a centre-back from Ajax, is five foot nine, yeah. I believe, and uh, is considered short for a centre-back. I don't know, you're a, you're a English proper football man, Seb. Are you going to tell us that's too short? No, I, I don't think it's too short. I, I think it's there's a little bit of a size issue, but I think it's also profile of footballer as well. Like, what is the kind of the, God, this is going to proper footballman territory, but the attitude off the ball, what's the mood there? De Jong, wonderful technical player, a little bit docile. Ericsson, good presser, not a great one-on-one tackler unless it's dramatically improved since he left Spurs. Like, he, he's not physical in the way he exerts himself on an opponent. But again, wonderful technical player. I want a little bit more... True grit. I, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to find... To spit the tobacco I'm trying to on the fight. floor and tell someone he's going he's gonna to find... I want midfielders who spit and who yeah. punch people yeah. and, you know, lay the occasional headbutt on an opponent. That kind of stuff, you know, that's... that's this is horrific. Yeah. yeah. I think, yeah. I think the point stands, though. I think you need, not that you can't accommodate those things. I just feel if you add in the players who are likely to play on, on sort of in the wide positions, Jaden Sancho, quite a small player. Marcus Rashford, not a small player necessarily, but quite slender, not very physical. That is a very light team. I'm not saying that you need to sure. measure football teams as, as if they were taking part in a rugby scrum. But at the same time, it is a little bit light. Seb wants a Marouane Fellaini, don't you? That's I, just, you I really to. want a kind of Fellaini, <laughs> Matic, kind of hybrid player. He wants a jagged 10. <laughs> <laughs> okay, enough of that, Seb. Now, John, tell me about height. Yeah, well, this has been the, the debate of a slow, newsy weekend. Uh, obviously, everything's got exciting on Monday morning, but sure. the rest of the weekend was a bit of a wilderness. So mm-hmm. uh, there was a lot of debate about how tall your centre-backs need to be. And obviously, people are going to say, well, there's been short centre-backs the the only Ballon d'Or winner who's been a centre-back is Cannavaro and he's I think around 5'9-ish maybe even shorter 5'10 so obviously people are going to say you know there's always going to be outliers there's going to be centre-backs who are small who are are good and there's probably a sense in which the smaller you are as a centre-back who plays at an elite level you're much more likely to be a better centre-back because you wouldn't be in that position unless you had attributes that that sort of allowed you to shine beyond your six foot four colleagues sure um but i do think it's an interesting question because instinctively a a lot of i think there's a grace robertson put out a tweet saying you know is martinez too short to be a centre-back in the premier league 
but instinctively i feel like surely we're moving away from the need to have like super tall center backs because the game is becoming more technical sure uh, teams are trying to keep possession of the ball more it used to be the case that defending was a, you know you didn't you didn't think about turnovers of possession in terms of winning possession back and and moving smartly between phases of the game mm. it used to be the case that someone's going to lump the ball and you have to be physical enough to stop that from being an, an issue the lump and chug yeah, yeah yeah and i feel like that's less of an issue now in, in the elite levels and i guess that's sort of confirmed by the fact that lesandro martinez has looked fine in the champions league right? sure at the top level he's he's okay um i suppose you could raise questions about whether or not you're more likely to come up against physical teams lower down the table in the premier league whether or not yeah. that be, might be an issue yeah. which i think it's worth it's worth talking about but my, my sense is is that the assumption is always short players are going to be worse aerially and it's mm-hmm. not true because there are tall players who are bad aerially. Sure. And someone like Lisandro Martinez, I think, has got pretty good numbers aerially for a short centre-back. So I'm seven inches taller than Lisandro Martinez. I think he could jump higher than me. <laughs> what do you think? I know I'm not a Premier League forward, so this is an irrelevant comment. But uh, short players can jump high Yeah. sometimes. Yeah, and I think they can... Look at grasshoppers. And they're smart as well, right? So it's not just about winning aerials. It's about mm. putting the ball under pressure in certain ways yeah. that allow you to turn it over as well being able to even just read the flight of, of the ball can be a, a useful thing there. So, Do you remember that science thing they did where they said in science that actually the shorter leg can kick the ball harder because of the speed with which the shorter leg can move from back to forwards? It's I, true. I never came across that. You would have thought that like a bigger leg with long muscles and tawny leg... <laughs> Would be able to kick a ball real far. Do you remember that opening scene of the Brad Pitt film Troy? Yeah? Where Brad Pitt playing Achilles. Uh, another uh, footballing term. We hear that one a lot in football, Exactly, yeah. yeah. Agrees to fight the large warrior of the opposition. Yeah. What's and his name? I don't know. Ajax. Not, no, not Hercules. It's Ajax. Is it Ajax? It? Yeah, which is another scene. term that you that hear in lad. football. No, no, different guy. I'm talking about the opening scene. Oh, I don't know. Anyway, there's the, this, this big tall lad who's he speaks deep because he's tall you know how in films when everyone's taller their voice is deeper like this anyway he kills him the point i'm making is that um what is the point i'm making oh yeah shorter legs kick a ball harder (laughs) than bigger stronger legs and that's just not what you know that doesn't that doesn't seem to be what you would think Hmm. but it is true so maybe the shorter center back is 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 better do you think sort of in my mind, the physicality problem isn't really about centre-halves or literal defending. Like, I look through the teams that finished above Man United last season, and um, mm. throughout those midfields, you have, okay, some sort of from Man City downwards, players like Rodri, Fabinho, Jordan Henderson, Spurs have now got uh, Yves Basuma, Arsenal when he's fit, Thomas Partey. I know Thomas Partey isn't just a physical midfielder, but that is part of his game. Mm-hmm. They look very light without him. Like it feels like there's a virtue, whether it's an old fashioned virtue or not, it feels like there's a virtue to having that size and that presence in midfield areas as a complement to what you may or may not have in defence. I, I completely agree, John. Mm-hmm. I don't think every defender needs to look like Virgil van Dijk or like a kind of a defensive Lee Chapman for these reference always every week now. It just feels like too technical a profile in the Premier League. I don't know if whether I'm right or not to think this. It just makes me feel a little bit nervous. That's all. And particularly because sure. um, if you had, if you were bringing a Man United team who were 
uh, perfect pressers who were relentless, who held all the right players in the right positions and who had all the right chemistry, I think I would feel I feel better about the function of the side. But because I don't, I think maybe I looked a little bit more towards the kind of the one-on-one matchups that they're likely to have, particularly in yeah. those games against the, the, the six sides above them. I don't know if I'm right in thinking that. It's just an instinct when you see it's sort of Ericsson and De Jong and theoretically Lissandro in there as well. I, I don't know. Yes, I just want a big old-fashioned ball winner, don't I? Some six foot five, <laughs> like, <laughs> monolith in the middle of a midfield. <laughs> I would yeah. like that too. Can I take this opportunity to, to let listeners at home know if they don't that we do have a TIFO basketball yes, channel. Yes, and one of the videos do. that we released recently was about Houston small ball. Very mm. interesting. When the Houston Rockets tried to play smaller players to confuse their opponents. And it worked for a time. Interesting video there. And seems somewhat related to what we're discussing now. But that's more than enough. I know you have interesting I'm, things just to say. Just one thing to say. Okay, fine. But let's all listen, listeners and Seb. Let's all listen, <laughs> judging John here, at the point at which we would have moved on. There are many people listening who are saying, stop talking about Man United. It's been half an hour. And they don't want you to say this thing. So as we all listen to you now, Let's all listen with the thought, is John saying something worthwhile? How good was it really? And don't just listen to the smart words he says and think, (laughs) oh, he must be making a smart point. Actually listen to the content of his words and let's see if there's a material value that's here. Go, go, John, go. Last season, a lot of... Moving on, let's have a break now. (laughs) No, go on, please do. Last season, a lot of Man United fans were quite critical of Harry Maguire for Mm. various reasons, Mm. Uh, largely because his mobility isn't particularly great. Sure. Bringing someone like Lissandro Martinez is going to solve that problem. It may cause other problems, but it's not as if big centre-backs don't have problems in the way that they fit within a team as well. So swings and roundabouts. If you don't like Harry Maguire, maybe you'll like Martinez and you can't complain about his height. It was valuable, wasn't it? I I think any comment that ends with swings and roundabouts is a valuable comment. That's nice, thanks. It's time for a break now. Yes, we've returned from the break there now. Um, The Women's Euros starts on Wednesday, John. England play Austria, 8pm UK time on Wednesday. I'm rather excited to watch that. It's been some time since I've watched the football. But uh, you made a couple of videos with Flo Lloyd-Hughes about uh, the women's football and the Euros upcoming. Tell me, as someone who doesn't regularly watch women's football, tell me what to expect. Tell me about some of the good players. Uh, tell me about the teams. You know, tell, just tell me some stuff. Yeah, I'm really excited about this tournament, actually. I covered the last women's Euros. Mm-hmm. And preparing for this one, I've just noticed a really marked level raise mm. in terms of like the tactical side of things like you can see that the that there has been an influx of like interest and money into women's football and i think the result is that this is going to be a really really fun tournament uh, in terms of like the competitiveness side okay. of things so yeah. there's i think the thing for me is that there's a lot of teams who could win this tournament which is going to make it quite attractive england are going to be good i think the analyst had them down as as their favorites um, along with france so um, at the same time, just I like think- in the men's football, then yeah, <laughs> yeah England yeah. favourites. Hey guys, hey everyone, no, everyone anyway. likes England. <laughs> Come on, uh, yeah. There, there are other teams. Sweden, I think, are a fun team as well. They're, they Sweden have a lot of flexibility, so they can shift between systems. I think France and England both have really exciting front threes. Uh, so France can actually play the full front three that PSG play at the moment, and 
are there. So they and they've got Marie Antoinette Katoto, mm-hmm. um, who is just a really super exciting, exciting forward. So they're going to just be they're going to be hitting channels. They're going to be getting the ball into her, and she'll be really dangerous. England have got just an amazing depth of of quality at the moment. I think in in almost every position that there is just that really great depth of of players. Again, they've got exciting wide players in Lauren Hemp, Beth Mead. And they'll be feeding Ellen White, who is just traditionally just gets goals mm-hmm. um so again those two teams i think are going to be fun to watch france are going to be much more direct and attacking from the off whereas england are going to be a little bit more patient in their build-up but those are the three teams i think i'm really excited about and i would probably add maybe spain to that so spain the the women's game in in, in spain has been really fun this last season because there's been quite a good r- rivalry between real madrid and barcelona mm. um, well, they had those uh, record-breaking games as well in terms of the stadium attendance didn't yeah they? some like ninety-two thousand or something yeah. like that massive attendance spain are following sort of the Barcelona model. So people call it tiki taka. I know that winds a lot of people up, but you know, that's a shorthand for, for what it is, but lots of, lots of short passing, moving the ball down the field. Mm-hmm. They have Alexia Puteas, who's I think the most exciting player in the world right yeah. now, playing in, on the left-hand side of a midfield three. Mm-hmm. She's going to be able to just dictate the play. She's just great at, at everything. She sort of fills that mold of what you expect from a, mm-hmm. a Barcelona midfielder. Yeah. Um, so in the mold of players like Iniesta and Xavi. Pateus is a player who um, I, I, I think I've only seen once or twice, but listening to the Stadio podcast, I hear Musa and Ryan raving about Pateus all the time. Yeah, super fun player, mm. super fun player. So yeah, the, the tournament kicks off on Wednesday, as you say. Uh, there's going to be a game a day for the first few days, but then it kicks off, I think, like the we're starting to get the couple of games a day um, mm-hmm. routine. So there's plenty of football on for, for people to watch. And I really would recommend you know, putting on. I think it's, it's going to be easy to, to watch. So make the most of, of having good football on your screens when there's not much football on. So if you wanted to no, say No, I wanted something. to ask a question, Joe, because John mentioned the tactical development in the women's game. Is that something that's kind of spread across the board? Is it a global thing or is it just something confined to the, to the biggest nations? No, I think it's sort of broadly across the board. Um, I think in the past, it's just been the case that you could just put in excellent individuals into a team and you would try and get the most out of them and obviously that still happens like every team does that but there's a sense now when I'm watching games that there's an ideology at play in each team you can see what they're trying to do you can see them building up in repeatable ways you can see how they're trying to get their better players into the game and maybe that's just my bias talking as as someone who does focus on tactics but I I do think that it means that the the quality of the game is is much better so yeah I think that we'll see it pretty much across the board yeah obviously you have like talent discrepancies between the top and the bottom but it's clear that even in terms of particularly pressing maybe because I think a lot of the triggers for, for being able to tell if teams are smart tactically can be seen in terms of what they're doing out possession mm. and I've just noticed like a lot of smart pressing from from teams which yeah even which is impressive as it is in terms of international football because I don't think you see a huge amount of smart pressing in the men's international game uh, at the moment but we're seeing more of that coming in but it could be that you get more of an upside from pressing in the women's international game but mm. yeah stuff like that where you can see that teams know what they're doing they're well drilled and they're, and they're playing I think, yeah. I think I find it easier to observe things like that in the women's game because I don't know as many of the players and I'm not kind of Mm. um, enslaved to the kind of the the individual storylines going on like I am in the men's game. 
I find it much easier to focus on the system or to observe what's happening. That's a really. I'm good not. Point. I'm not a particularly tactical person. For people listening who want to get better at doing it because I can't. I can't do it either. I've, you know, I've sat next to Alex Stewart for four years and <laughs> I can't watch a football game and see patterns. I just see uh, little yeah. stories, like you said. But if there are people listening who want to improve their it's ability a really to good watch, place to do it, I think. analyze football tactically, yeah. it probably is. If 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 you're not as familiar with the women's game, it probably is a good place to do it. Yeah, that's a great point. I just love tournament football. Me too. I'm so excited to watch a tournament. I feel a bit robbed that there, there hasn't been a World Cup this summer just because of it being pushed back to winter. I feel in a tournament mood. So I'm excited that there is a tournament. Do you think that your tournament mood in Christmas time will be will be different to your summer? No, because I'm always in a tournament mood at Christmas time anyway. You know, eh? Christmas mood and tournament mood are kind of the same. <laughs> I only have two. One is non-tournament and the other one is tournament. So joviality mood. versus... Yeah, just extra joviality. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, there we go. Uh, very excited to watch England Austria on Wednesday. Mohamed Salah became the highest paid player Liverpool have ever had in history by signing a new three year contract worth around £350,000 per week. It's too much money. It's too much money. The 30 year old Egypt international, not for him, sorry, specifically, it is just too much money in general. Just want to make the point in the world that we live in now, it's not too much money for him. Uh, but it is generally too much money. Anyway, he's 30 years old and uh, the, the, the deal's all signed. He'll be there until 2025. Seb, I'm just curious to understand, what does the forward line look like? Because I was sort of expecting, obviously, him to play this, this season. I wasn't expecting him to leave, but I was expecting it to be his last year. And I was expecting Jurgen Klopp to experiment with a few different things. They're quite stacked up top now, aren't they? You know, I know, I know that Mane is left, but um, what, are we, what, are we, what are we looking at there? Well, instinctively, it probably is Salah in his sort of favoured position on the right, Darwin Nunez in the middle, and probably Luis Diaz from the left-hand side. But then what you said is entirely the point. I think they are stacked. There's a lot of variation there. You can do different things by putting in a, a Jota, for instance. That changes things quite significantly. Firmino as well. That changes things again. Firmino. Sorry. Firmino. But the, th the thing was, is I, I was so focused on getting Diogo Jota, as you would have corrected me, right, yeah. that I expended all my yeah. focus and then you left and the back then, door open. And then exactly. I made another error, but it's just like, yeah. Should we talk about whether it is too much money? Not in society, I mean, for him. Yeah. Because when I heard the news, I wavered between thinking, ooh, 30-year player, three-year deal. And then as you think about mm. it, actually, as time goes on, I think we know less and less about what a player's prime is, which players are going to have, you know, really excellent twilights in their career in the kind of Karen Benzema way. And so... It feels like saying, well, you know, he's 30 now, so you can't possibly give him a three-year contract. I feel like that's a little bit of a false perspective or a way of making yourself look a bit silly. Um, yeah, he's still he's really still good. He's still really good. And also, had you said to me at the beginning of last season, Liverpool are going to be really dependent on Mohamed Salah this season, I thought, oh, that's not necessarily a good sign. And then he produces arguably the best six months of his career. So mm -hmm. this one of the situations where you can make all sorts of arguments in all sorts of directions and look really really smart or really really stupid as a result of it kind of fun sure. right yeah, yeah it is fun okay fine well that's Mo Salah we'll be able to see him for another three years hopefully Richarlison to Spurs I'll come back to ask you about that Seb as a Spurs fan uh, but uh, John starting with you the deal is reported to be 50 million pounds plus 10 million pounds in add-ons um, presumably he's going to be a not necessarily just a substitute but a ro rotation player because Kulisevsky has joined and played extremely well Son and Kane seem like an unbreakable partnership but I suppose the upside of Richarlison is that he's pretty malleable up front and can play probably all of those roles, couldn't he? 
Yeah, he's tended to play on the on the left and central for, for Everton. So it's a funny transfer, this one, because I think obviously Everton have, have nosedived in the last few seasons in terms of their on-pitch performances. Mm. And so I think if you go back two or three seasons ago now, people were, were quite positive about Richarlison and his his decline in people's cultural consciousness has probably mirrored the decline of, of Everton, which is always worth yeah. keeping in mind because that could just mean that he'll, he'll go to Spurs and, and fit in really well. Sure. It, yeah, it's, it's a rotation option. that They've got more minutes coming up. They play Kane and Son all the time, basically. Too much. Too much. So um, the question is, is he going to be a good backup for, for those two? We know that he's going to be a good backup for Son because mm-hmm. he's played that wide left position quite quite a lot and quite successfully. I think he's, yeah, I think he's he's, he's brilliant at that. The, the big question, I suppose, is how well will he deputise for Kane? Mm-hmm. He's not going to be the same as Harry Kane, but I think that he'll be, be okay. I've watched... A bit of video this weekend, my good friend, our good friend, Nathan Clark, made mm. a, a video about uh, Richarlison for his content out at the Extra Inch. And I watched that and it was, yeah, very interesting. So he puts up sort of fairly poor aerial numbers, but actually if you watch the tape, the the stuff that he's doing is is very useful for, for his team. Mm. Uh, and he's a pretty useful link-up player. He's not going to be uh, Harry Kane insofar as he's not going to be dropping deep and making those like delicious passes that, mm. that Harry Kane does but I think he'll be a, a, a decent deputy in that sense and yeah they've, they've got Europe so his off the ball work is impressive as yeah. well it's not something I associated with Rich Ellison but having heard about it this this weekend uh, he's really impressive off the ball yeah and that will be important as well and his upside in that respect is much better than Kane so yeah I, I think he's a, a player that will be exciting to watch at Spurs and obviously so much of what Spurs are doing is is generating these I think the, the coaches call it artificial transition so just generating space then for for their forwards to attack and mm-hmm. I think that Richarlison will really eat up those transition moments so yeah I'm enthused I think one of the key things is that he's different to everything else they've got in those four positions. He's another contrast. I think that's really what worked very well for Kulisewski in January when he came in. He was different. Also, I, I really like the character of him. I mean, he's a sort of a gnarly personality who antagonizes opposition players and fans and spits. Yeah, exactly. But there's a competitiveness to him, which I think sometimes in the past Spurs have lacked. I think I'm sure other people will disagree with me. I think, the Spurs archetype has been a little bit of a nice player too often. Richarlison, a really, really good player, ball accounts, a good human being with a decent social conscience as well. I, I, there's a Jack Lang piece on The Athletic, which is a really, really good read to recommend to everybody, but competitor. Also, whenever you bring in someone who's going to be a backup, you need that person to be super competitive rather than someone who's just going to be, yeah, that's fine, I'll play 10 games a season, I'll back up Hurricane and so on with me, and that's cool because I'm living in London and picking up a large wage not who you want you want someone that wants to play and someone who's going to not too much but make it slightly uncomfortable when they don't someone who wants to get picked and also mm. you know it's been a couple of years since Tottenham have played Champions League football previously they've had the privilege of sacking off the the domestic cups playing they almost had two separate teams for European football I mean the the teams they've put out in the Europa League and the Conference League the last couple of years do not bear much scrutiny so much so that um mm there was a little bit of a political issue between the two camps by um, all accounts within the club. So you can't do that because they're Champions League games and kind of the perfect signing. Like the fee is, it's a lot, but maybe that's just my kind of 
It was always going to be a lot, yeah. though, right? Because he, he was a he was a player that was desired by other teams. I mean, you know, as John said before, it's easy to forget that his stock has kind of fallen alongside Everton's. A, a year or two ago, it wasn't um, a surprise at all to see rumours that Barcelona were sure. interested or Real Madrid were interested. In, I think, you know, and I was having a conversation with somebody about this, and and the person I was talking to was probably right in that you get used to, as a Tottenham fan, the idea of £60 million, that is an automatic starter. If that transfer goes badly, that's a catastrophe. You know, so think of a kind of a, a tangy and dombly. The great privilege of the clubs at the very top of the league is that they can spend £80 million, £100 million. If it doesn't work, so what? Just go and sign another one. For Tottenham, sure. um, the recent past, the entire modern era has been focused on resale value, on making sure that if something goes wrong, you're at least able to get your money back. Not on the idea that you can spend 60 million pounds or 50 plus 10, whatever the, the actual structure of the deal is, on a player who's going to challenge for a, for a starting position. That's a little bit of a new reality, which sure. that's perhaps why I was a little bit hesitant towards it. And wrong to be. But surely your gut is that he's going to work out. I, I think so. As I've thought about it, I think initially I was a bit kind of, well, it probably won't happen anyway, so I don't really have to think about it. Um, and now that it has happened, I'm not quite, well, he's the best player ever. I'm an admirer of Richarlison. I think he's a good player. I think he become he could become an excellent one when surrounded by um, players of the caliber of Harry Kane and Sonia Min and add in a, someone like Perisic working down the left as well, potentially with him. That's really interesting, I think. So yeah, but I'm I'm yeah. I'm more curious than than I am absolutely 100% sold on this being an outright success. I think it's a really interesting addition. I think it's smart. And I think it equips the squad. What it turns out to be, not quite sure. Very, very happy to be uh, convinced otherwise. I like yeah. it too. Let's have another quick break now, and then we'll we'll get to the last uh, bits on the list uh, after that. Yes. Okay. Barcelona TV money. Uh, Seb, Barcelona have agreed to a deal to sell ten percent of their La Liga TV rights for the next twenty-five years uh, to a global investment firm named Sixth Street Partners. Uh, the deal will apparently generate 267 million euros of revenue for this season's accounts. And uh, Sixth Street have initially invested 207.5 million for its share of Barcelona's TV rights. Can you sort of at all explain to me how this works, why they've done it, you know, why they've ended up in this in this situation? Well, uh, why they've done it, I think we all know, is because they're short of money. They need cash uh, ahead of the implementation of the new La Liga cost controls. Um, that deadline has, uh, I think, actually passed now, so it needs to be done. Uh, what they've done yeah. basically is, well, as you've described, they've sold 10% of their future TV earnings. Also, there's an additional bit in there, which is that They've sold off, I think it's a 49.9% stake in the arm of the Barcelona company that vends merchandising and commercial opportunities. Mm. So that's earned them another couple of hundred million euros. The company that they've sold it to is a global investment fund. And they've actually got a, interestingly enough, they've got a, um, a little bit of a, a recent pass with Real Madrid. Not as far as I understand it with the football team itself, but with the Bernabeu Stadium and some of the events that are going to take place there once its renovation is complete. I'm not sure when that is. I think it's later next year, this year, when the kind of the, the full shebang is ready um, and it starts hosting uh, concerts and events and stuff. I think this global investment firm has a stake in what happens there. That's how it's been described. They've certainly also been partnered with, I think, different NBA teams or one NBA team in the past. So... They have a sporting background. It's not just some alien investment fund that's just come in, hoovered up some rights and won't do anything proactive with them. So mm. uh, 
It's interesting. Sean Laporta spoke about it and has talked about kind of pulling economic levers, which fine. It feels like selling off assets for the sake of now. The one phrase which really bothers mm-hmm. me that came out of this reporting was that, and I don't know whether this is a mistranslation or not, but it was talking about kind of ensuring that Barcelona are competitive on the pitch now. I feel like that is not the road back to solvency or stability or a smart future. I'm also aware of kind of like the political context in which Barcelona occurs, whereby your tenure as a president is judged by what you achieve during your time there. And this feels very happy to be proved wrong. I am a financial dunce and very, very happy to admit it. However, it still feels a little bit like kicking the can down the road to me. And mm-hmm. John knows finance yeah. better than I do. Uh, tell me I'm wrong, John. Yeah, I think you're right. It's, it's just a high risk yeah. strategy, isn't it? Like, okay, you're, ma- you're getting money now that will allow you to operate in the transfer market. But there's a few things. One is they've sold that tranche of, of rights for well below the market value, like to the tune of around 100 million, I think. Uh, although don't quote me on that figure. But so they, they're selling off cheap. So if you would expect over the course of 25 years, they would be making an extra 100 million or so on, on that. That's, that's a lot of money. And, and that then means that all of the business that they do now has yeah. to work. Because if it doesn't, then you've ended up just throwing away money for, yeah. for nothing. So it's just, it's one of those like high risk strategies, which it could work out. But, but if not, what you're essentially doing is what you see some teams do, which is, you know, selling off their, their TV deal rights or, or cashing in on future rights deals uh, in, order to, in order to have sort of cash flow in the here and now. But yeah. Borrowing from tomorrow to pay for today. <laughs> That's right. Chaos under Ed Miliband or something. Um, but yeah, this is, it, it's, it's, just, it's just a high risk strategy. You don't want your club to be doing that because I think the problem is, is that you start running out of things to leverage yeah. into, in, in ways to pick up more money in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, th- I think that's the, the scary thing. They're sort of banking on the fact that if we bring in good players now, we can be back battling with with Real Madrid, and mm-hmm. then we'll be one of those teams that does pull in huge amounts of revenue in the future. But we don't know what's going to happen. You know, in the you, future. You're we can have years, you're not know really time, concerning, yeah. John. Is that the expectation is like you think about the idea of Barcelona getting back to what they were at their apex? It just doesn't happen because all the things that mm-hmm. kind of collided to create that so so rare and they're not even once in a generation factors they're once in a club's lifetime factors there is no Lionel Messi replacement it's not even the point that there isn't another Pep Guardiola there is no way of repeating the timing of that that movement the kind of the restoration aspect of it the feel-good factor that accompanies someone like Guardiola doing it with Cruyff still there like with Cruyff as a kind of a not still there but as a godfather really in that situation I know that he wasn't you know you can't repeat that. And yet this is a kind of, we're going to get back to it. And if we can just sell this off now, and also the selling off of the 49.9% of that marketing arm, you're doing it at a time where Barcelona don't have the same kind of, they have a commercial pull in terms of their size, but in terms of their identity, little bit tenuous in terms of kind of the individuals they have on their side, but also their style of play is on their way back on the Xavi Hernandez, no doubt but not there yet. And no guarantees that it will actually get there. And so you're selling that. And I don't know how to compare it. And I don't really know how to judge it, but I imagine under market value too, compared to what it mm. would have been um, relative to other sides 10, 15 years ago. So it's really troubling. And it just, it might be that we've just got used to this pattern of behavior with Barcelona. And so we're prejudging it. That's more than, more than possible, but that's, that right. is how it feels at least. That's an honest response to it. 
I I just like to think about how long 25 years is by thinking <laughs> I'll be 57 <laughs> when Barcelona have full control of their La Liga TV I'll be rights 63. Again. That's you'll be 63. I'll be 61 maybe. Sure. We'll all be, we'll we'll still still be here. here you know. Yeah, yeah, we will. <laughs> we'll recording be doing this podcast. podcast. <laughs> I'm not sure. If my family history is anything to go by, I'm not sure I will be. Oh. This I don't know about you guys but this sort of reminds me a little bit of the Arsenal stadium. Ah, yeah development sure, thing sure. so again you're sort of taking you're you're taking a business decision in order to benefit you in the long run but mm. the the thing with the arsenal stadium move was that they did it at sort of a time when actually tv rights started burgeoning and so it got to a point where you know the, the the benefits that they were getting from increasing their gate receipts whilst obviously important you know the the actual economic downside to, to actually that deal probably looks a little bit more negative in the long run and Arsenal haven't really got back to where they were mm. uh, before that stadium move. Uh, True. And so, so it, that's just a sort of correlate that strikes me as maybe yeah. instructive. Anything that takes a long time is a bit of a gamble, I yeah. suppose, because the future yeah. is very unpredictable, particularly in football and business. Yes. Listen, we don't have time to get over everything. So the final thing I'm going to do, uh, I'll ask you guys about today, is, is just go over the list of um, players that have contract. Lukaku, we can discuss another time. Chelsea's new roles, we can discuss another time. But uh, as it relates to uh, players going into the final year of their contracts, there's some interesting names on the list and a few that perhaps we can stop and, and discuss. This is an athletic article, by the way, and they're listing sort of um, key Premier League players heading into the final year of their contract and then a few around Europe. Uh, Raheem Sterling, Riyad Mahrez, Ilkay Gundogan and Anzinchenko at Man City are all in the final year of their deal. Three of interest, uh, I guess, at Manchester United, one being Cristiano Ronaldo, who may not even see that one out. David De Gea, there's something interesting there. But Marcus Rashford is the name I think is most interesting. Now, it's worth pointing out that Man United do have an option to extend that, I think, for an additional year, which is probably what they will do. But it's quite an important year for Marcus Rashford under Eric Ten Hag to see whether he can recapture any of that form, to see what kind of player he might be in the long run, because he still has a, a great amount of value. But if he doesn't play well this season, then, you know, they will, I imagine, trigger that option in January anyway. But um, there'll be a, a conversation about it, Seb. Sure will, Joe. And uh, probably no coincidence that we've um, we've seen kind of out-of-season fitness work leak onto uh, Marcus Rashford's social accounts. Sure. Which is kind of sure. like, I, I'm as bad as anybody with this. When you, when you see a player running in June, you think, oh, he's got a monster season. Like, he's looking, he's taking it seriously. He's not like knee-deep in a cheesecake or, you know. So, yeah, but he obviously, most importantly, he's so fit. Because you feel like he's had a really difficult time for for a number of reasons, like the kind of the the blowback from yeah. the missed penalty with England in the Euros final, and some of the just awful things that he suffered after, as a result of it, and afterwards, um, it's just embarrassing. Uh, but it would be difficult for anybody to get through. That's happened in concert with a pretty difficult loss of form. His body seems a little bit fragile. Seems to be suffering a little bit of wear and tear. So all sorts of things. But like he needs to just get his trajectory pointing up. Uh, but it's still a really good player sure. there. There's a cautionary tale here about playing yeah. through injury, overplaying. I know you mentioned it at the end there, there, Seb, but Rashford is definitely a player who went too far physically. And I guess that raises questions about what the future looks like. And it's you, you mentioned those videos that we're seeing more and more of where we see players who are wanting to make that step up, just thrashing themselves through a summer after a seasons where some of them have played, you know, upwards of 4,000 minutes, if not more, 
And I, I think this is going to be something that we see repeated and potentially even like a, a changing of the age curve, like the mm. a shortening of players' careers, because yeah. if it does come down to like physical ability increasingly with, I guess, pressing football becoming bigger and bigger, then you we, we're going to expect to see players dropping off much quicker. Not because they don't have the technique, but because they just aren't able to keep up with the pace of always games. makes me mm. think of Gavi, John. Yeah, it's interesting, like it, isn't it? It, it? it always makes me think of that kind of first breakthrough season you had at Barcelona and then a situation where a club a club is a little bit on the decline and has one good news story in its first team. And so as a result, that good news story plays mm. all the time. Um, and you just, yeah. Well, funnily enough, Gavi yeah. is on this yeah. list, mm. Seb, as a player who um, who will be out of contract. So I don't mean Gavi, I mean Pedri. He's been, uh, that's absolutely uh, nonsense. I've just made something sure. up there. That's okay. ridiculous. Yeah, I, I wasn't. No one corrected me though. You weren't um, a bit confused at all. You nodded along. Well, I, I was no, a bit. Confu- I was a bit confused. I, I, I thought, have I missed the season where no. that where that happened? That was that must have been. You, you are quite Pedri. right. The Gavi is, is out of contract, but Pedri is the player that I'm thinking of. Who's sure. um, Thank God, JJ's that not makes here. More he, sense. he would never have spoken to me ever again. He would have beaten you alive. He, yeah, he likes more than well, Pedri. Well, Pedri also mentioned, not insofar as he has only one year left in his contract, but um, apparently uh, Gavi uh, has been deadlocked with uh, Barcelona uh, over a contract extension and a pay rise. He's still on a contract that he signed in 2021, which is really not that not that long ago, is it? And it sees him paid around 100,000 euros per year. But his camp uh, feels that he deserves remuneration in line with fellow emerging superstar teammates Petri and, uh, and Sufati. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with Gavi. Perhaps he will move away. Other uh, players from around Europe whose deals run out in 2023, Lionel Messi, Robert Lewandowski, Karim Benzema, Kalidou Koulibaly. There's a few other names on the list as well. Jan Oblak, Serge Gnabry. These are all players who've, who've been Fabian mentioned in, in, in concert well. with potential transfers. Fabian Ruiz, Tony Kroos. Is Fabian Ruiz on this list? I don't see him here. Next summer. I guess he's not considered notable by the Athletic. There we go. Don't get the Athletic; it's the worst. <laughs> they don't think Fabian Ruiz is notable. I didn't know who he was before the other day. Is <laughs> everything's fine? Don't worry. How uh, many of these players do you think are actually going to be available next year? Because we've still got a long chunk of this window to go, and obviously, a player in the last year of their going into the last year of their contract. I think a lot of clubs have to sell just because of attractive. the last couple of years. I think you can't. Yeah. I mean, yeah. some of them, sure, but. The vast majority, especially anybody in the middle class, is going to have to sell. Surely. Yeah. agree. There we go. Okay, fine. I think that's probably the end of the podcast today. Would you say so, John? I think so, yeah. John would say so. Would would you say say so, so, Seb? There we go. Okay, everyone said so. Um, Thanks to producer Jamie for his his, uh, efforts (laughs) pre-match. Again, just to reiterate, when you wore those two pairs of overhead (laughs) headphones... I really did enjoy that, Mr. Jamie. Thank you so much for the entertainment that you provided. Producer Don would never have done um, that. And producer no. Don wouldn't have done that. No, he would have, he would have just yeah. solved the problem yeah. technically. Would not have made a us laugh. Job. No. Um, <laughs> no, he wouldn't have made us laugh. He wouldn't have had that extra entertainment. He, we wouldn't even no, have known no, no, the problem no, no. was occurring. He would have just fixed it silently and moved on mm. with that deathly <laughs> stare of his. Anyway, I miss him. He makes me feel ill. I want to be around, you know? There we go. Okay, that's uh, thanks to uh, producer Mr. Jamie, uh, John, and Seb, and thanks to uh, Adonis and or freelancer audio editor. Yes, we very much value you. Um, <laughs> a trialist. A tri- <laughs> yeah. it's like a trialist. Exactly. It's on the team team. <laughs> it is a yeah. bit like that. We'll be back next week. JJ was supposed to be here today, by the way. He's returned from his holiday. He was but, too busy. Um, his workday so just, far just so was traveling about an hour to get to work and then texting me to say he feels really ill. And I said, well, you should go home. So then he went home. I think 
I'm not sure he even set foot in the office, but he did arrive outside and he was sad not to be here today. But I'm happy. <laughs> I don't like him. We'll be back next week uh, with more. Until then, au revoir, ta-ra, and uh, bienvenue for you. <laughs> <laughs>